to minister today. Our Heavenly Father, for Jesus' sake, we would pray that your spirit may be at work in us so that we would receive your word, we'd submit to it, we'd rejoice in it, we'd believe it, we'd follow in your ways, and we'd take joy in what you've accomplished for us that no one else could do. Uh, for what is impossible with man is possible with you, and you bring it to reality, your plans, your purposes, your promises in Jesus Christ. We take joy in that again this day and ask that you would hear us in Christ's name. Amen. We are going to turn in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, starting with verse 23 and reading through to chapter 4, verse 7. A number of smaller letters there in the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, those are all clustered together. And we're looking at Galatians chapter 3, 23 to chapter 4, verse 7. We're also taking a look at one of our uh, church standards, the Belgian Confession of Faith. Uh, we in the United Reformed, as pastors, are called to preach confessionally at least one service a week, ordinarily. Normally it's out of the Heidelberg Catechism that we find our references, but I'm going through the Belgian Confession right now, and by God's providence, I'm landing here on the Incarnation of Jesus Christ, Article 18, on this Sunday afternoon where we're also having the Christmas program later. So that's rather apt. Uh, so we'll be looking at that also on page 77 in the back of the Psalter hymnals. We'll look at that in just a moment, but first read from the Word of God, Galatians 3.23. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, this is really where our focus is found here in this passage, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. 
take a look a moment, having read from God's Word, also at Article 18 of the Belgic Confession, titled the, entitled the Incarnation of Jesus Christ. We confess, therefore, that God has fulfilled the promise which he made to the fathers by the mouth of his holy prophets when he, when he sent into the world, at the time appointed by him, his own only begotten and eternal Son, who took upon him the form of a servant and became like unto man, really assuming the true human nature with all its infirmities, sin accepted, being conceived in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit without the means of man, and did not only assume human nature as to the body, but also a true human soul, that he might be a real man. For since the soul was lost as well as the body, it was necessary that he should take both upon him to save both. Therefore we confess, in opposition to the heresy of the Anabaptists, who deny that Christ assumed human flesh of his mother, that Christ partook of the flesh and blood of the children, that he is a fruit of the loins of David after the flesh, born of the seed of David according to the flesh, a fruit of the womb of Mary, born of a woman, a branch of David, a shoot of the root of Jesse, sprung from the tribe of Judah, descended from the Jews according to the flesh, of the seed of Abraham, since he took on the seed of Abraham and was made like unto his brothers in all things, sin accepted, so that in truth he is our Emmanuel, that is to say, God with us. We thank the Lord for his word today, and may it be a blessing to us, one and all. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps no other time during the year do you find yourself, and do I find myself, having to keep a very close eye on our calendar. As the calendar is starting to wind down, the things that are on the calendar start to tighten up. They start to fill. And we see it, if I could take a moment, chat with some of you individually, and I started asking you, what do you have going on in the next couple of weeks? You would be saying, well, let me, let me tell you all the ways that I will be busy. I have to go to this concert, I have to go to this program, uh, I have to find myself over by my grandson on this day, and we got to make sure that we get over to Grandma Jones on that day, and then get over to the other side of the family on this day, and then we're going to drop this off over there so that we can show some generosity. And then we got to mail these things out in time for the deadline so that these things can get over to the West Coast or the East Coast or wherever it is that these things have to make it. And then there comes snafu. Somebody gets sick. Now, it's not so bad this year as, it's, as we start out, but sometimes the snow comes into play. Or we find out that somebody all of a sudden can't make it to our home when we plan this particular party for days or weeks. And sometimes our plans just don't work. That never happens with God. When it comes to when the Son of God came to earth, God's timetable is not impeded. 
It wasn't rushed. It wasn't interrupted. It wasn't altered. He came at just the appointed time, at just the right time that he needed to come. It wasn't too soon. It wasn't too late. And he also came at a time that related perfectly with the promises that the Lord had made. Not just his plans, but his promises. Plans fulfilled, promises kept, came together with the fullness of time as God sent forth his Son. And in that perfect timing came the perfect person in himself, and the perfect, perfect person that we needed. Those truths are found in our sermon this afternoon. They're found in the confession. They're found in the passage. As we focus on God's saving promises that were fulfilled in Christ. There's much that we could say in this letter of the Galatians. And, uh, and, and in this particular passage from Galatians, the entire letter is a very fascinating one. And maybe at some point I'll have an opportunity to work, wait, work through it with you. Uh, but we're going to catch a couple of things in terms of what the confessions tell us about as well. That, that there's this temporal element uh, to God's saving promises fulfilled in Christ. And of course there is, as the title of the, uh, the, title of the Belgian Confession would speak to us, and Galatians speaks to us about that as well, there is this incarnational Element. So there is this uh, time element, and then there is this God in the flesh element that are involved in the fulfillment of Jesus coming according to God's promises. So we'll take a look at both of those things, and I, I do pray it will be essential for us, and it would be a blessing for us as we're thinking about the lives we need to live and the faith that we need to profess. So let's think a little bit about the time element of God's fulfilled promise in the in the previous article, if you were with us last week, we were mentioning about how from the outset that God had spoke his word of promise of good news to fallen mankind. From the very outset, when man fell into sin, there was always gospel promise. That's always been in the world. But now it's one thing to promise, and it's another thing to keep that promise. You know, when we hear... People say that they are going to promise to be somewhere at a particular time, then that's all very nice and that may console us to a degree, but it always makes us feel a little bit better when those people actually deliver on that. What time are you going to be there? I'm going to be there around 10. Okay, well, if they're there around 10, you're happy. If they come around 11, you're not. People who keep their promises are valued. We can trust what they say. The person who made the promise and keeps it is somebody that's worth trusting in the future, too. Right? We, we, we build on that. When we know that somebody has been somebody that's been trustworthy in the past, then we know that we've got reason to count on this particular person in the future. We haven't any reason to deny that. Love trusts all things. Some promises, of course, require oaths at significant times. And some of you, most of you, have made some kind of oaths at some point. For the family, for the church, for the state, we, we swear an oath in court for the sake of justice. 
we swear an oath to our spouse or a bride or groom to be faithful to them because we realize that marriage is a sacred trust, a sacred bond. We swear when we make a public profession of faith. I mentioned earlier that we have one that's on the horizon. And when that's done here, and it's only a couple of words, and people say, well, why isn't it something more elaborate? It's, it's elaborate enough. It's, a, it's an oath that they're making. They are swearing about their allegiance to God and to Christ. And they are stating that belonging to the Church of Jesus Christ is not some trivial thing, not some kind of cherry-on-top kind of way of living. Same thing happens in uh, baptisms that take place of, of covenant children. When we're raising our children, we make some vows there. It's serious business. We, we take joy in the children that have been given to us by the Lord, but with that comes some weighty responsibilities, and it's, it's, it's reflected in the fact that we make vows about what we plan to do as parents. We're always called to keep our promises, but special times call for special promises. And so with God, when he swears by covenant or by oath that he's going to keep his promises that he has made since the out, from the outset, we see by grace the, that when he's talking about doing that in the sending of his son, that there is something spectacularly superlative about that promise and about that event and how essential that is for us to see the importance of that event. Even before it is kept to send a Savior for his own who turns out to be his divine Son as our passage speaks, we see how spectacularly superlative that moment would be. Now, because God is God, his, his promise to his people is money in the bank. But when the God of the promise has already delivered on that promise to send a Savior, which is the times in which we live, then the glory of that dependability is something that shines even brighter that way. That we can count on this word of God that he uttered. The promises that he makes for the future as well. This is the confession that the church of Jesus Christ makes to the world. The God that we profess, the God in whom we believe, is a God that everyone should believe. Why would we believe it if he wasn't worthy? of such faith. For among other reasons, this God not only promised a Savior from the beginning, he was good on that promise. He kept that promise. And so if you want to know if God is dependable or believable, if he's worthy of our all, then all one needs to do is to focus on the promise that he made, but not just the promise that he made to fallen mankind, but how he fulfilled it. 
by sending his son to save his people from their sin as the sacrificial lamb of God. God's promise must have seemed like it was long in coming. Right, we even sing that, right? Come thou long expected Jesus. People were longing for his coming. In fact, God's people longed for his reappearing. But as our passage reminds us, it was just at the right time. As, as the confession would say, at the appointed time. The rightly appointed time, the fullness of time. Now, why is that coming spoken about in those kind of terms, the fullness of time? Well, part of the, the clues come in chapter 4, in verses 1 and 2, where our passage speaks of where, where the apostle uses an illustration uh, to speak about the importance of Christ's coming. And he speaks about how a child, of how a child who one day is going to receive an inheritance is in practice no better than a slave until the day appointed by the Father, until that day comes, when he will then become an heir. But when that day comes, there is much rejoicing, because the inheritance once promised is now his to enjoy. That appointed day has arrived. The day in which the release from the bondage of sin and its enslavement is truly realized in the day appointed by the Father in heaven. When he says, this is the time for my son to be sent to earth. It's the right time, it's the chosen time, it's the appointed time, it's the exact time, it's the fullness of time. We can think about, you know, in our own lives, all kinds of milestones and and matters that we consider important. And uh, as I mentioned before, at this time in the calendar, a lot of times that's what we find ourselves doing. We've got these traditions that we keep, and there's these people that we always see, and there are, we've had it even in our own circles where we have birthdays to celebrate in the month of December as well. And those are all uh, important things to us. But there's nothing... According to the Word of God, there is nothing more important than the coming of the Son appointed by the Father. It's a rich idea, this idea of the fullness of time. Given the context in which we find the phrase, fullness of time, it carries with it the idea of the promise being kept. God has made a promise, and He's kept it. Covenant has been established in which not only Jews but also Gentiles will know the blessing of God's covenant. And there will be neither Jew nor Gentile, male or female, but all of these different kinds of people will know the blessing of God's covenant. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. But what triggers that blessing? What triggers all of this covenant fulfillment is this moment when what God had promised from oh so long, comes to fullness. Mark 1.15 says, as Jesus speaks, the time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 1 Timothy 2.6 says, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all 
the testimony given at the proper time. This fullness is a time of climax, a zenith. It's a hub through which all the spokes of the wheel of history must thread. And it's no wonder, even though in our politically correct days people want to use other kinds of standards now, I think they call that common era and pre-common era, something like that, but it is no wonder that typically this coming of Christ was viewed as so important by society that when people started to mark calendars and mark time, they started doing that in terms of the birth of Jesus Christ. Because everything else was before Christ. And everything, or after Christ. Because people knew that no time could be more important than the coming of the Son of God appointed by the Father. That's the reference point. That's the ultimate reference point. And that coming then puts all our times in context. Nothing's more important to consider than God's sovereign appointment of this day. No longer is there a need to anticipate God's promised seed to Abraham. Because that promise has been kept and realized. This, this fullness testifies to people that they can count on this God in faith. Not that you couldn't before, but now there's even more reason to do it. Because what God had promised from the beginning He's kept by sending his son at just the right time. That fullness of time helps us also to understand our present day. It certainly speaks to the promise kept in the past, but it also defines the days that follow. Because from the scripture's point of view, we were living in the past days before that coming. We were living in the former days, like Hebrews 1 would say. But now we live in the latter days. We live in the days of God's kingdom, salvation, transformation, of urgency in which God has spoken to us by his Son, whose word we must urgently heed. We are to fervently pay attention to this word of God, especially from the fact that you can see that what God has promised so also had to be kept. You're, you're a person, and I'm a person, who ought to see that we ought to trust this word of God. Fullness also speaks to us as a testimony of what God is able to accomplish regardless of sin and sinful people and, and sinful events and sinful forces. Because nothing gets in His way when it comes to what God brings about at just the right time. Nobody, nobody can say, well, uh, God, this isn't convenient for us. You're going to have to just wait until we're ready to have you come. Now, it was perfect timing for God to bring about the coming of the King and the Savior. And it wasn't too soon, and it wasn't too late, and God wasn't in the dark as to when that should happen. He wasn't dependent on the whims of man who weren't ready or said, well, we're not quite ready for you to come. 
God said, this is it. God's, God knew what he was doing. God knew when to do it. And not only does that testify to his greatness then, but his, his greatness and dependability now. To be faithful to the end. To be sovereign. To save his people. That's a comfort for us in faith. And that's what we must not lose sight of in times of trial and, and testing in our lives. That, that the light that we need to see in dark days, even when we must walk through the valley of the shadow of death, is apparent. The God who sent forth his Son in the fullness of time is the same God on whom you're to, de to depend today. To believe that he'll lift you up in your time, that, that he has your times in his hands, and that he'll shepherd you as in all things and, in, and through all things, that what he began, when he began a good work in you, he'll see it to completion unto the day of Christ, never leaving us wanting, but lavishing us with his grace. He's able to do that because he's God, and he's willing to do that because he's a faithful father to us in Christ. Now, of course, there's that incarnational element, too. There's that temporal element, but there's that incarnational God-in-the-flesh element when it comes to God's fulfilled promises in Christ. Because not only does God's promise get fulfilled at just the right time, the one he sends is just the right person. The one he sends is the fulfilling person who's everything that we need at just the right time. And we notice then, don't we, that the Apostle Paul, when he's speaking as he does here about the Father appointing this one to be born, he doesn't say the Father appointed this one born to be his son. He says, no, God sent forth his son. Which means that he was already in existence as the second person of the Holy Trinity before he came in the flesh born of a woman. The wonder of the incarnation is revealed there. God the Son is sent to be born of woman. It's God who redeems his people and such as whom we find in the son that was sent forth, born of a woman. And yet he's born under law. He places himself under the obligation and the penalty of the law. In that submission, he brings the change from slave to son. He pays the slave's price by taking the curse of the law on himself. And that's how he's our redeemer. Paul talks about being enslaved in the worldly rudiments. Galatians were tempted to find their redemption in their own ways, right? The worldly rudiments. Keeping the law or some kind of pagan rituals. Some that seem to be pretty bizarre. Jew and Gentile alike look for freedom in themselves, in their own solutions, self-help kind of mentality, self-saving. And they all come back down to being able to save ourselves by works of the law, whatever that law might look like. And to think, 
you know, if to think that we can save ourselves in, when we're in hopeless slavery is, is really nonsense, right? Because if we can save ourselves, you think about that in itself, then you really never needed to be saved in the first place. Why do we, if we can save ourselves, we weren't in need of rescue. The Son comes under the law to do what we couldn't do and wouldn't do. Only then could his people be saved from slavery, from an impossible burden under which they were bearing the, the sin uh, that has been theirs and that is in Adam. Not only that, but adoption is then also accomplished when Christ comes that way. He not only saves from slavery, but he, he brings about adoption. And that way, the promises to Abraham that all the nations of the earth would know the blessing of God's inheritance could come true. And that's why every illustration of, of slavery to sonship is a good one. Because when Christ comes, when Christ comes in the fullness of time, he takes the slavery away so that we can receive the adoption of sonship and all the blessings that come with that. That salvation is also what makes the son's coming the fullness of time. Because if he doesn't come, if he never comes, and if we don't care about his coming, we're still slaves to sin. And we're still under the curse of the law. And nothing that we, we think is important otherwise really is. Because that's what we'll try to do, won't we, in our lives. We're going to make something important other than Christ coming. Something. Even if it's, just, if it's to be lazy. Or to just not care. To just live carelessly. That's what, that's what we'll care about. But nothing that we would consider important otherwise really is. Because we've forgotten the most important thing. The most important thing that ever happened has never happened to us. It's never been the most important thing in our lives. Nothing should be more important in our lives than the redemption of our life. And our adoption as God's children through the Son came. And that's one of the things we have to reflect on, right? About what's most important in your life. So what's the most important thing in your life? Well, it needs to be that Christ came to redeem your life. Because none of the other stuff matters of the one. You can have what you want. You can do what you want. You can talk about all the things that you want. But none of that matters at all without redemption from sin and slavery and adoption to God in blessing. And, and that's why the coming of Christ is so important. 
It's a coming that's so important that only by believing in Him and following Him do any of the moments of the things that, that we have or the things that we do or the things that we want, if they're in accord with God's ways anyway, make any difference. None of it matters if Christ hasn't come. The fullness of time is about God with us. And God sent forth His Son into this world so that we could know God in us by His Holy Spirit as adopted children of the Heavenly Father. That's, that's how we need to be identified. That's what matters. The language of the confession is purposely Specific, The Son, the Divine Son, is sent to earth at just the right time to become a man so that God in the flesh could be God with us, Emmanuel, in the very way that mankind needed Him to be. And that's why God is, is worthy of our prayer. Even little boys and girls can sing of that. You know, and we can take joy in that, and you know, we do. And that's why we have a full crowd here this, this afternoon. I get that. But what should really cause us to take joy in hearing these children is to think about what is it that they're praising God about? What is it that they're doing? They're, they're praising God about the most important thing that has happened. And, and we should delight to hear little children singing like that, but it should be a reminder to us all about what's most important. Right? What really matters? That God's worthy of our praise, and everything we needed from God's saving promise came at just the right time. It came when God the Son was sent to earth by God. Father. Jesus fulfills God's promise and he fulfills everything that we need in a Savior as Emmanuel. God with us. God incarnate. God who became man. Perfect timing. Perfect person. A person who perfectly fits what we need. And so it's no wonder that the angels sang, Glory be to God on high and, and on earth, peace on whom His favor rests. No wonder that we ought to too. Huh? When we confess Jesus as our Redeemer, as God incarnate, at just the right time. Perfect timing. Perfect person. Perfectly. Fitting our needs. Great to hear the kids singing. May we all take joy in it all our days. Amen. I'd like to um, respond in prayer with you a moment before we sing another song. Heavenly Father, it is good to be able to hear about how you not only made plans, promises, but you kept them, and we can trust you. 
and we can rejoice in what you have done and rejoice in what you still have in store for us because at that perfect time with the perfect person we have our needs perfectly met in Christ. Thank you for your sovereignty, your greatness, your grace. Thank you, Lord, that we could hear a word that speaks to us, a word that we can trust for today, for eternity. No wonder, as with children who sing enthusiastically, we also can sing enthusiastically and live enthusiastically for this great God who saves us in Christ. May you accept our prayers and our petitions in Jesus' name. Amen.